It's a good thing we don't have to sing the second, third, and fourth verses of many of our Christmas carols by memory, isn't it? Most of us know the first verse, but we get beyond that, uh, at least I'm lost. The author of a novel carefully introduces his main characters. And after he has done that, he begins to weave in the secondary characters who surround the main character in the novel. As John writes in our text today, in John chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8, he introduces to us a secondary character, but nonetheless a prime mover in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. In writing his account of Jesus' life, John introduces to us his main character, not by name, but by title, first of all. And that title is the word we've been looking at now for a couple of weeks, logos, or word. Regarding the nature of the Word, John tells us that he was eternal. For in the beginning, he was already existing. He says the Word was with God, and thus was distinct from God, yet being equal with God. And he tells us that in fact, the Word was God himself. As to his work... John tells us the work of the Logos is the work of revelation, revealing God to mankind. He was the agent of creation by which we see the glory of God displayed night by night, day by day, hour by hour. And his work in the incarnation fully reveals the glory of God. The life of the Lord Jesus Christ is the life of God himself so that we can see it and understand something of the divine nature. Now the second person in John's account is introduced to us in our text. It is not the same John who wrote the gospel. I'm sure most of you know that. The John that is here is the one that is called John the Baptist. The details surrounding John's birth are found actually in Luke chapter 1. We'll not read that today, but for your own study you may want to go back and review the interesting details concerning his birth. John the Baptist sets before us a model of how God's servants should see themselves. There are three statements that seem to summarize the matter as they arise from our text. The first statement is this, God's servants are humans with a divine mission. There was a man sent from God. John was given a special appointment for service. In fact, I'd like to go to Luke chapter 1 and just look briefly at some words that were spoken to his father, whose name was Zacharias. But John was yet to be conceived. But to Zacharias, 
The angel says, beginning in verse 13 of Luke 1, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, capital H on him, before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Notice that the appointment given to John involved being a forerunner. That is, he was the one who was to go before the Christ and announce him to the people of Israel. Going back now to John chapter 1, we see John the Apostle recording for us the fact that John the Baptist accomplished this mission. In verse 19, this is the witness of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? You see, John just appeared out there in the wilderness. He had no pedigree. He had not gone to their schools. He was this rather strange individual who was out there in the wilderness preaching. And the people were responding to him in droves. And so the priest sent the delegation out from Jerusalem to find out, Who are you? And they asked him several questions. And then down in verse 25, they said, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the throng of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Then in verse 29, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In response to the delegation sent from the Jews, John quoted from Isaiah the prophet, saying, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. John understood that he was not the Christ. He was not Elijah, nor was he that prophet spoken of by Moses. But in fact, he was one come in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He was the one that Isaiah had predicted would come and would cry in the wilderness, calling upon the people to make a way straight for the Lord. He was a forerunner. And he came to prepare the people's hearts that they might be prepared to receive their Messiah. This preparation was symbolized by his baptism of repentance. John did not invent baptism. It was practiced broadly in religions, including the Jewish religion in that day. 
Others who were not Jewish, for example, when converting and identifying with the Jewish religion, would be immersed to symbolize the fact that they were converts. Now, John took that form of baptism and gave to it a spiritual meaning, not merely an external meaning that one had converted religions, but a meaning of the heart, for he called it a baptism of repentance, an outward act that symbolized to those being baptized that they were changing their minds about their ways in sin. And as a result of their baptism, John called upon them to bring forth the works of repentance. You see, this was an acknowledgement on their part of sin and their desire for a change. John's purpose was to prepare, to stir up the people, to awaken them spiritually from their years of spiritual sleep and lethargy, so that when the Messiah would come, there would be a people prepared to hear his words. Oh, what a mission this was. No one would ever have this mission besides John. Unique in all of the annals of history is John the Baptist and the greatest of the prophets of the Old Testament. He was divinely commissioned by God. But I want you to keep in mind that John was only human. In fact, you notice the word used of him in verse 6. There came a man. There came a man. It doesn't say that there always had been a man, as the word had always been, but here is a man. In contrast to the word, he was a man who came, who was conceived, who was born, who arrived on the scene. He became. It is true that he was close to God. In fact, the very preposition used there, sent from God, means sent from the side of God. You have the picture, perhaps, of a coach who prepares the player for the game and then with a swat sends him into the game. Or a parent who puts the arm around the child to prepare or to console or to encourage and then sends the child on <clears throat> to school or out to play. It's that position of closeness and intimacy that is in view when it says, There came a man sent from the side of God. But though he was close to God, he was also a human. For example, John recognized his own sinfulness. When Jesus came to him to be baptized, John tried to prevent him. And his words to Jesus were on that occasion, I have need to be baptized by you. John recognized his own unworthiness. He recognized his sinfulness. Further illustrating his humanness, we see him later in his life. Not much later than this, but a little later, when he was put in prison by Herod, becoming unsure about Jesus. In fact, he sent some of his followers to ask Jesus some questions, it says in Matthew 11, to try to confirm if, in fact, Jesus was the Messiah. You see, he was human. He came to a point of doubt in his life. Why? Well, because he was in prison. And during those months that he preached and prepared for the coming of the Lord, he predicted blessing from the Lord and judgment. 
But now instead of judgment upon the sinful people, he finds himself imprisoned. Undoubtedly, as day after day followed there in the prison, most likely on the east side of the Jordan River, a very desolate area, as he was there imprisoned, doubts began to bubble in his heart. And he needed reassurance to settle the second thoughts he was having. Jesus sent a message back to John, saying, John, you hear what is happening. The lame are made to walk, the blind are able to see, and so on. Which was a message that John would understand to mean that in fact Jesus was the Messiah. Even though he wasn't doing everything that John expected him to do at that time. There was a man sent from God. He was not superhuman any more than you or me. From this, I observe that God uses ordinary people. That would make a nice song, wouldn't it? God uses ordinary people to do his work, to achieve his purposes. People like you, people like me. And though there are times of second thoughts or doubts that arise within us, that only reveals the fact that we too are human, like John the Baptist. But we are humans with a divine mission. I observe that every Christian has a mission in the world. There are no exceptions to that. We are not precisely like John the Baptist, for he was unique as the forerunner of Messiah. But can we not say that all of us are afterrunners? All of us are bearers of his good news? We are all commissioned by our Lord with a task in life. There is no Christian whose life is to be wasted. God has gifted us. God has given us a mission to accomplish in this world. It's best that we be about that faithfully. I would observe this too, that we should not be overwhelmed with discouragement when realizing that we're human. There are times that we seek with all of our hearts to serve God and we put out everything that we have only in the end to find that somewhere we have failed. That we have come short of our own expectations and therefore we become discouraged. Let me encourage you today. You are a human being. Expect yourself to fail. God knows that you're dust. He remembers that. We forget it, don't we? And we think that somehow we're going to perfectly achieve all of our dreams or all of the things we want to do for God. That we're going to fulfill that witness. Or we're going to do that project. Or we're going to to read the Bible every day and pray every day. Or whatever that goal is, God knows that we're human. And when we fail... Just as he did with John, he sends encouraging words to us. Being a Christian is a little bit like living in Kansas. Now, why do I say that? Because the state song of Kansas says, Where never is heard a discouraging word. You know, our Lord never comes to us to discourage us. He comes occasionally to convict us because we need it. 
But our Lord is the Comforter. He has sent the Holy Spirit to be our Encourager. So if you find today that you are a little bit low because you have failed in your Christian walk, remember you're a human. And our Lord's desire is for you not to to grovel there in your failure, but to acknowledge it and to get up and go on. He has a divine mission for you to accomplish. Be about your Lord's business. Now there's a second statement that I think is important for us to see as we see the model that John sets before us. And that is that the divine mission involves being a herald of the light. Now you understand when it says here, he came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light. It's talking about the light that is described to us in verses 4 and 5. It is the light of the Logos. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and John came to bear witness of the light. The divine mission that God has given you and me is that we might be a herald of the light that is in Jesus Christ. God wants us to spread the knowledge of Him which He gave in His Son, the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, Light is come into the world. About Himself, a couple of times in the Gospel of John, He makes the statement, I am the light of the world. And then listen to these words near the end of his earthly ministry. When he says, I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. The Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And those who will believe in him will not remain any longer in moral and spiritual darkness. He is the light, and you and I, who have trusted him, like John, are privileged to be witnesses to point to Christ. Now it says clearly regarding John that he was a witness that all might believe through him, that is, through John. John was the agent. He was the one who was the proclaimer of Christ. He was the herald who went before the Lord. Now you and I come after him. And we herald to the darkened world today regarding the light that is in Jesus Christ, calling men to be reconciled to God through him. John witnessed faithfully regarding the Savior. When the Savior came to be baptized that day at the Jordan River, what did John say regarding him to the people? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I would submit to you that there is no message that is more needy in our world today than that same message. To call upon those people that live and work around us who know us and say to them, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away your sin and the sin of the world. Is that not the mission that Jesus Christ has given to us? Isn't it what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.20? 
We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us. Think of yourself as that. As one who is sent on a mission through whom God entreats others. He speaks to others, calling upon them to be reconciled to himself. And isn't there a sense that as John went before him, that we also go before him into the lives of people to prepare his way? Isn't that a beautiful picture of a Christian who touches the life of an individual so that that person is never the same again? And because of that loving touch, that gentleness, that compassion, that person's heart is a bit more opened and prepared for the Savior? Think of yourself that way this week. Though like John the Baptist, you are a herald of the light. You are sent on a mission by God. You go before the Lord to prepare the hearts of people. It is sad, isn't it, that often the further we get away from our conversion, the less we concern ourselves with our commission. Somehow that becomes old stuff to us. Oh, that God would rekindle in our hearts and renew in our hearts a sense that I am here with something to do for God. And in that office or in that factory, in that schoolroom, in that neighborhood where I live, with those people that I have contact with, God wants to use me to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. That they might see Him, see the light that is in Him. We said last week, a little bit of light punches a big hole in the darkness. You may feel that you are just a little light. Let me tell you, that little light makes a lot of difference. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Prepare the way for the coming of Christ into the hearts of people that know you. I see a third statement arising out of John's ministry as a model for us. In the first place, we are God's servants with a divine mission, but we're human. Our mission involves being heralds of the light. Heralds of the light must remain humble servants of God. Would you agree with me that there is no arrogance that is more odious than that which is in the name of God? I feel that way. There is no arrogance in the world that is more odious than that which is in the name of God and religion. Pride of position or pride of privilege will destroy a servant of God. The attitude of a servant must be carefully cultivated in the heart of one who is a herald of light. We must understand as we carry that message and herald Jesus Christ to a darkened world that we are not the source of the light. 
In fact, Paul uses a beautiful figure of this in Philippians, doesn't he? When he says that we are illuminaries, that means that we are reflectors of the light. Like the moon reflects the light of the sun. So we are really reflectors. Oh, that our inner man may be, may be like a mirror that has no cracks in it, no smudges on it, so that that mirror might reflect him out of us. Heralds of the light must remain humble servants of God. I think that's why John says twice regarding John the Baptist, he was not the light. He was not the light, but came to bear witness of the light. Now why would John the Apostle say that twice about John the Baptist? I would submit that it's probably because that was really the attitude of John the Baptist. I think that can be proven in Scripture. Look over in chapter 3, verse 22, where John really comes to a test. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing And John also was baptizing in Neon, near Salem, because there was much water there. And they were coming and were being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. There arose therefore a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, that's Jesus, To whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. You see what his disciples are saying to John? They're saying, uh, Master, this one that you bore witness to, that you baptized, is now baptizing himself. And there are more people going to his meetings than coming to yours. Now, if John were a typical televangelist today, he would be pretty upset about that. And there might be a mass mailing to try to get his audience back. But John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Isn't that a great statement? You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom. That's how John sees himself. Who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I, I must decrease. Do you see the humility of this servant of God who has been given such a unique mission in all of history? He sees now that his role is coming to an end, that he has accomplished the mission for which he has sent. And part of that mission involves his own diminishing. He says, I must decrease. He must increase. 
John was not interested in building a kingdom of his own followers. For that we must admire him. And yet that must have happened because in Acts chapter 19, in the city of Ephesus, we come to understand that there was at that time, even a quarter of a century after Jesus' death and resurrection, there was even at that time a people who were called the disciples of John. Now they came to faith in Christ when the gospel was fully explained to them, but up to that point they were followers or disciples of John the Baptist. It may be that they were part of a heretical group. Even yet today in Iraq, there is a sect that is hostile to Christianity that claims direct ties to John the Baptist. They do not have the spirit of the founder of their sect, their so-called founder. For his attitude was the light that I came to bear witness of. He must increase, and I must get off the scene. John was willing to leave center stage and then exit altogether. He understood that he was sent to introduce not to interfere. His sole concern was to prepare the way for Christ. What an example John sets for you and me in our service for the Lord. John and Jesus, cousins through their mothers, humanly speaking, And yet, an infinite contrast exists between the two of them. Dr. William Hendrickson, in his commentary on John, outlines the contrast in just five simple thoughts. Regarding Christ, it says, He was from all of eternity. In the beginning, was, and always had been the Word. But regarding John, it says in our text, there came a man. He had a beginning. Regarding Christ, it says he is the Logos, the Word of God. Regarding John, the Bible says that he was a man sent from God. Regarding Christ, it says that he himself is God. But regarding John, it says he was sent by God. Of Jesus, it says that he is the true, the real, the genuine light. But John said that he came to bear witness of the light. Jesus is the object of our faith. But John saw himself as merely the agent through whose testimony others would come to faith in Christ. An infinite distinction between them. The distinction between God and man. And yet it was the purpose of the eternal to use the mortal. Just as it is today. It is the purpose of the eternal to use the mortal that other mortals might come to believe. In this case, one is the sovereign The other is the servant. 
And all of God's servants should follow the model of this servant. We should see ourselves as humans, mere humans, but with a divine mission. A mission to be heralds of the light. To see ourselves fulfilling that mission with a humble spirit. How does this apply to us? Well, I think there are several questions that we can ask ourselves with profit. The first one might be this. How do I view myself? Do I see myself as a star or as a servant? If someone else comes along who begins to get more attention than I do, do I resent that? If someone else is promoted over me, how do I feel about that? If another gets the nod instead of me, or another is chosen for that position that I've worked for, what is my response to that? May I remind you of the Lord Jesus? It says regarding him in Philippians chapter 2, he emptied himself. That is, he laid aside his outward glory as God, became a man, and he humbled himself. That does not come natural to our human nature, does it? We are much better at resisting that one who has given the promotion over us. We feel a lot more comfortable being in center stage than in some secondary role on the side. But the fact is that God has called us to be servants, not stars. Then I think we can ask ourselves this question with profit if we think about it. How do I respond to my disappointments with God? Oh, you say, we're never supposed to have disappointments with God. Ideally, that is true. But in our humanness, do we not occasionally find ourselves disappointed with God? Like John did? John sent a delegation of his disciples to find out from Jesus, are you truly the one? He was disappointed with what had happened, though he was later reassured. Are you disappointed with God this morning? Not that God has failed, I don't mean that, but God has not come through like you expected him to. Can I be content with what the Word of God promises me, even though I don't understand what God is doing? Oh, this morning I would hope that all of us could say truly to God, Father, I don't understand. I do not understand, but I trust. And the third question we might consider asking ourselves is this. How am I doing on my mission? Someone says, well, you mean that I'm supposed to, to be like John the Baptist? Absolutely. Can you think of a more eternally important purpose in life than going before Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, preparing others to receive him? 
Can you think of something that is more significant than that? Whether you're a doctor or a businessman or an attorney or a teacher or a factory worker, a homemaker, a student, whatever you are, can you think of some mission that is more exciting and fulfilling than going before Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit to prepare others for Him? How are you doing on that mission? God has called us to be channels. That's becoming kind of a negative word these days because of the New Age movement, but I'm going to use it anyway. Not in the sense in which they use it. But it's a wonderful word that describes what we are to be in our mission. Channels for the Lord to use. Channels. I look back in my life upon some of those men and women who were channels of God for me. I remember a pastor when I was nine years of age who was a man in his 40s at that time who had been in business for those years of his life until he sensed God's call to go into ministry. He then resigned from his business, sold his business, and went to a seminary in Kansas City and lived in our little town, about 50 miles out of Kansas City. And in those days, that was close to uh, an hour and a half or two hours drive by the roads. And went to seminary, pastored that little church with uh, 80 people on a good Sunday. But the kind of a man who was a beautiful testimony of Jesus Christ. He carried himself with such dignity and yet warmth so that he had time to to talk to little boys. And he would stand in the pulpit and preach from the Bible. And as a result of that, a little boy came to faith in Christ. And many boys and girls and moms and dads did. I thank God for those channels that God used in my life. I saw that man about five years ago in uh, a meeting, and it was wonderful to be able to relate to him as a, a fellow pastor. He was retired by that time. Now he's with the Lord. But can you think back upon those that God used in your life? It may have been a business partner, not a pastor. Uh, Maybe it was a friend in school or a parent. But don't you thank God for those channels that opened the way of your heart for Jesus? Maybe not a word was spoken by some of those people, but by the love, the compassion, the gentleness, the goodness your heart was opened up a little bit and the seed was planted. And then someone else came along and planted a little more and watered it. And over the process of time, the Holy Spirit caused that seed to germinate. And now you have life because you believed. You see, that's what God's called us to be, folks. Not stars, not famous, not successful as the world measures it, but channels.
so that wherever we are, whatever the relationship is, we're just continually planting the seed, sowing, opening hearts, preparing the way for the coming of Christ, whether it be by word or merely by a life, in a given instance, preparing the way for him. God's servants should see themselves as humans with a divine mission. That we might be heralds of the light with a humble servant spirit. Let's pray. How do you view yourself? I mean, really. Really down in your heart. Do you see yourself as a servant? Do you see yourself as a servant with a mission? If you're a Christian, let me tell you, you've got a mission. It is that you also might be a herald of the light. Will you say something to the Lord today about that? Just tell him to help you get back on track, perhaps, with that mission. To get on with it in the power of the Holy Spirit. To be faithful. What are the words you want to use? Talk to the Lord right now about your mission. It may be that you're disappointed with God today. And again I say, not because God has failed, but because it hasn't worked out the way you thought it would or should. Can you say to the Lord, I don't understand, but Lord, I do trust. Father, today may each one of us see something in the model that John set before us that we can apply to our lives and may we go forward from this time of study and worship benefited because of what the Holy Spirit has said to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like for us to sing number 92. The first and the second verses, please, of number 92. Just leave.
with Him.